0: I want to look at our response to Jesus' last words. In a sense, His last will and testament. And and the things that He declares to us as He is serving us on the cross. And I want to spend some time doing that. And, And a lot of times you notice that our past can anchor us. Maybe you have something in your past that holds you back. It keeps you from wanting to move forward. Or you don't feel like you can move forward. Sometimes some of us have a past that propels us forward. And it like it becomes literally uh, the wind behind us that just, we can't help but move. I don't know if you've ever been in a storm like that where... You just can't help but move. I've been in a few, whether it's earthquakes or windstorms or tornadoes. I've been in a couple. But I want us to go back so that in that way we can have a good perspective on the resurrection. I've been praying as it's like, what should we think about our Savior and His resurrection? What did the resurrection do? We know that he died on the cross for our sins. We needed a payment. We needed a sacrifice, and he became that sacrifice. But what about the resurrection? You know, we've been talking to a few people, and, you know, the cross is the symbol of Christianity. But why not have a big, giant rock up here as well? You know, we, we have a rock on the lady's finger for a symbol of their marriage. Uh, You know, why not have a big old rock up here in front of the cross? The symbol of He is gone. He He is risen. He is alive. He is in heaven. Not only that, but He is interceding on our behalf for those that have put their faith and trust in Christ. The reality is this, that His resurrection proclaims his deity, that he is God, that he was the perfect lamb. That his sacrifice actually was the atonement or the one that paid, that could pay. No resurrection means no payment. His resurrection means everything. To put some perspective on that, I'd like to go back and look at Jesus' last words, there were seven sayings that Christ made while he was on the cross. Seven being complete, that it is whole. And so I'd like to quickly run through them, but then I'd like to ask, so what is our response to thus the resurrection, the completion of the payment for our sin? And so as we do this, we're going to be Meandering through the gospels to get a complete picture, and you can. T- I'll try to pause long enough so you can turn to each of the passage or you can read them uh, as they appear on the screen. Let's pray, Lord. I pray that maybe our hearts are troubled, may maybe the things of the year have frustrated us, have brought us low, maybe. The things of politics have annoyed us to bring us low. Maybe just things in the family, hardships, work, school, um, our homes, our families. There's something maybe that we have struggled with. I pray, Lord, that you would be the lifter of our spirits as we look at what you said while you were in agony on the cross. I pray that the resurrection would give us a new light, that we would realize that our hope is not in vain, that our faith is built upon the rock, that you would be the cornerstone of our life. Lord, I pray that you would speak again through the words that you have proclaimed while on the cross, but also the words that we read this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The first thing that Jesus said was found in Luke 23. Luke 23, and we come to this point on the cross. And he's you realize that he's been mocked. He's been he's been tortured. He's been ridiculed. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our God. Who the week previous, as we heard, rode in triumphantly on the donkey, proclaiming the fact that he is Christ, that he is, he, is, he is king. They believed he was going to become king, that he was going to overthrow Rome, and that they would regain their independence, not realizing that he didn't merely wish to be king of Jerusalem, but to be king of the whole world, the universe, our hearts. And he said this in verse 34, he said, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots and they divided his garments. Father, forgive them. He's sitting there having received the lashes, having his skin ripped off of his back, having the crown of thorns beaten with a rod, a reed onto his head, and yet As he is in agony and obviously in pain, he proclaims, Lord, forgive them. It's the words of forgiveness. Which is amazing because this too is foretold in Isaiah 53, 12, that the Savior should say that he would make intercession for the transgressors. Some link that to us that, God was planning all along to make intercession or to intercede on behalf of all sinners. It states that in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, and he says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives because he rose again. He is not in the grave. He, the tomb is empty. He always lives to make intercession for them. But in reality, in Isaiah 53.12, he's not speaking of what he's doing now. He's speaking of what he would be doing on the cross. Isaiah 53.12 had a reference to his gracious act at the time of his crucifixion. Observe what his intercession for the transgressors is linked with. It says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. It's saying that he was numbered with those who were sinners. He was hanging side by side with thieves, traitors, sinners. And it says there, and he bore the sin of many, speaking of what he did on the cross, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is what he was doing on the cross. His last words were words of Forgiveness. Not only that, but the last words in Luke 23 and verses 42 and following in verse 43 were words of salvation. He said this, and he said, Jesus said, um, the thief on the cross, you remember. The one thief was mocking Jesus. Can you believe while they're sitting there hanging on the cross waiting to die and and one is mocking Jesus, the other one is sitting there and saying, do you not know who this is? And he proclaimed Jesus as God and, and then he goes and he turns and he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Acknowledging that God's kingdom wasn't the kingdom of of the earth but the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Very words offering to the thief the words of salvation. It's salvation is given to those who are humble, meek and put God in to his proper place. Romans 5 6 says, for while we were still weak, kind of like the thief on the cross, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Two things that we notice in this section with the thief is we see that the thief had both repentance and faith. It was a humble faith. It was a faith that said, remember me. <laughs> He's all right. It was a humble faith, a faith like a child. That said, please remember me. It wasn't say, here I am, Lord, take me. It wasn't a faith that said, I'm good. I deserve to be in heaven. It was a faith that said, just please would you remember me. But not only that, it was a courageous faith. He was surrounded by all of these Soldiers and people and religious rulers and everybody mocking Jesus. He was dying. And yet, it took a lot of faith, courageous faith, to say, save me. Remember me. The one who hung on the central cross was the one whom all eyes were turned towards whom was being viled, mocked, vulgar mob was directing insults at. Yet Jesus offers salvation with his last words. In John 19, as we move over into another gospel, we see that his next words were words of affection, in John 19, we see a beautiful, this is amazing, all of this done while he is hanging on the cross. Words of affection, he says in verse 25, he looks down and sees his mom. How many of you had kind words of affection for your mom this morning? Hopefully and most likely, none of you had the anguish that. Christ had maybe putting on that tie or putting on those shoes was a little bit more than you desired. <laughs> for me it's a blessing. I love my ties. I got a tie for Easter. It was a great gift. But standing there by the cross Jesus where his mother and his mother's sisters sister Mary the wife of Clopas And Mary Magdalene, verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved. By the way, every time in John it says the disciple whom he loved, he's referring to himself. (laughs) John the, the disciple, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple. Standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold, your son And a lot of times we think, well, that's... Jesus is saying, look at your son hanging on the cross. But that's not it. Verse 27, it says, And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her in to his own home. What wonderful... What a wonder... That Christ on the cross looked down, seeing his mother, said, Mom, here is your now your son, and disciple, here is now your mother. It was a Hebrew form of passing on the right of responsibility to take care of mom. What dear affection that on the cross as he died, with all the sin of the world hanging upon his shoulder, before he, he's going to receive the full wrath of God for our sins, he looks down and with great affection cares for his mom. Look at the next words. Matthew 27, verse 46. He not only in very wonderful adores his mom, but all the while... The words of agony. Matthew 27, verse 46. As we begin begin to see the immense agony in which Christ is having on the cross. And before you realize, you think about the agony, you always attribute the agony to the fact that he's been whipped He is hurt, he's been maligned, he's dying willingly. And he says in verse 46, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, not because of physical pain, saying, Eli, Eli, la la sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very word forsaken is probably one of the most tragic in all of human speech. To think about, to be forsaken, to be forgotten, to be pushed aside as if nothing. Surely this cry from Christ ought to melt the hardest of hearts. As he endured the most horrific agony leading to his death and then to realize in the rest of his humanity, humanity that's left before he is glorified in all of his deity, he takes upon the sin of the world which separates him from his Father, from his deity. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. We know the rest of the part, but that's our, the most precious part, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But look at 2 Corinthians 5.21 expounds upon this idea of what Christ was really going through. In verse 21, he says, For our sake, for yours, for mine, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's right, he was perfect. He was God. He is the Christ, the Messiah. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The great transformation. He took our sin to lay upon our shoulders his righteousness. That's what the resurrection brought. The righteousness of God. The complete, the sacrifice complete by the precious blood of Christ. Words of agony, but then we move number five, and that is John 19, 28. In John 19, 28, we see the word of suffering. The agony, the suffering wasn't just in the physical things. The agony, the true agony was in being forsaken by God. But we see also he did suffer. In verse 28, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill scripture, to fulfill another prophecy, I thirst. I thirst. Think about that. What a text. What a heading for a great sermon. All of these could be one one sermon in and of themselves. And that is, he says, I thirst. I thirst. In Psalm 69 21, to give us light, he says, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Speaking by the mouth of Jeremiah, God says this of this very hour in which he was dying on the cross, Jeremiah in Lamentations 1 12 13, he said, Is it nothing to you, all of you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. Look at me and see, is there any sorrow like this, which you have brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger? As Jesus hung there on the cross, he was being inflicted with God's most fierce anger, and he's saying, Look at all of you who come and look. Is there any sorrow like my sorrow? From on high, in verse 13, He sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread it a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned. Faint all the day long. His thirst was an effect of the agony of his soul. His thirst was much more than just he was physically thirsty. His soul was in anguish. He thirsted for that sweet water that we read in the Psalms. Psalm 23 The shepherd, the good shepherd makes me to bring me near the cool waters, the still waters. He is thirsting, and He is suffering. And a lot of times we think, this is the final and finished, the great victory. John 19, and just a few verses later, in verse 30, He says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, He says, It is finished. And He bowed and He gave his, His head and gave up His spirit. It is finished. What is finished? Well, we answered the sacrificial work. Sin no longer has its grip. Sin has lost its grip. But you know what's interesting? That one term, it probably was like a dagger into the heart of all of the Jews that were there, especially the high priests, because that was a Jewish, at the day of Passover, exactly when Jesus was going to be, when he died, the priest's job was to slit the throat of the lamb that was going to be offered as an atonement for the sin of the, of the whole year. The sin offering that was going to be given. And when the throat was slit and the blood flowed, the priest would proclaim, it is finished. Meaning, sin is forgiven. It has been atoned for. And Jesus proclaims on the cross as he dies, it is finished. Sin no longer reigns, but Christ reigns. O death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Death no longer has victory. The wages of sin is death, but now we have the but. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ has won the victory. Where is the victory? It's in Christ. When he proclaims it is finished. But the very last words that he said, we find in Luke 23, 46. When he says this, when Jesus calling out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He wasn't just proclaiming his death. He was saying, I am going to rest. Literally, here he's saying, I'm putting my hand, I, I, I commit myself into your hands. I'm going to lay myself in your hands. It's words of great contentment. He's sitting here in anguish, experiencing all that he's experiencing, and he just says, oh, I am content." To do your will, I am in your hands. It's the same thing that the psalmist so many thousands of years prior said of Christ in Psalm 31 in verses 1 through 5. And the question is, is, where do you lay your self? Are you laying yourself into the loving hands of the Father? Are you content to lay your life in His hands as Christ did as He laid on the cross? In Psalm 31, He says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline my ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me for you are my refuge. And then verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Are you content in the hands of the Lord? As we look at this conclusion and as we conclude, I want you to go back to Matthew 28 as the disciples, in Matthew 28, the disciples have, as a result of the cross, they have fled to back to the upper room. They've locked the door. They are in fear of what might happen. They don't know what to do. The the body's gone. The grave is empty. He is gone. What has happened? There might be retribution. The guards might come. They might think they stole the body. They don't know. And Christ appears to them and says, Peace be with you. Don't be afraid. Now, The door's locked and Jesus comes into the presence of the room. I don't know about you, but that might startle some of us to have somebody just appear in a locked room, right? I've done that to a few people on purpose. It's fun to to see if I can scare people. (laughs) So he says, peace, be settled. And he he looks at them and they realize that it is Christ. And he appears to many. In verse 16 he says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. This morning as we Go home and as today we celebrate the empty tomb and we celebrate the, the fact that it is finished, that we have a sacrifice, that we have the perfect payment for our sin, that there is life because there is life in Christ, because he is alive with God. He didn't stay dead. So we have a final sacrifice. Are you putting yourself into the arms of God, trusting him? Just like the thief did when he repented and, and said, remember me. Romans 10 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's exactly what the thief did. As we contemplate, as we think about the, the, these things that Christ said, and as we think about the empty tomb, what is your response to that? Will you worship him or will you live like you doubt him. Will you worship him or will you live like you doubt him? He did what he did so you might have life and life to the fullest. Are you going to live like that's true or are you going to live like you doubt that? You have freedom from your sin. He has purchased you by his blood and death on the cross. Are you going to worship him? Or live like you doubt him. See, to worship him means to come to him in a humble position. To kneel before him. To rest yourself into his arm. It's to be content with him. When you're worshiping him, you're saying, I'm content to take refuge in the Lord day by day. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For the love of Christ controls us. If we are worshiping Him, His love for us controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer, it's no longer Christ walking among us, it's Christ living in heaven, residing in you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. We're a new creation. How will you respond to this new creation because of the empty tomb? Will you worship him or will you live like you doubt him? I want to close with this. And speak to the resurrection one last time. In Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We see a quite a dramatic thing. That we study this in one of our Bible studies. Here at the church. And it's amazing. But. Paul calls himself a prisoner. He's a prisoner to Christ. That's an odd thing to say. Listen to what he says in its entirety. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. Think about that. You've been called as Jesus died on the cross and, but ultimately as he rose again. Alive. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain. When he rose again, by the way, did you know he created unity? He brought us together by one sacrifice, his death and his life, risen again. And our job is, as we worship him, we maintain that unity. We We don't create unity, we just maintain it through His Holy Spirit. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all by grace you have been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He also descended, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. You know what this is talking about? The Roman, it's, it's this is Roman tradition. When the Romans won a great battle and victory, when when, they, when a victory was won, they would bring all the prisoners and all the spoils of war, whatever they could take with them. If it wasn't nailed down, they took it. And they would come and they would march through Rome and parade and were victorious and then Not only that, all the people that were taken captive by the enemy, they were set free. And then all the spoils of war as they paraded through town, they would divvy out the spoils to everybody because of the victory won. And what it's saying here is that Christ, when he rose again, and now he is parading through and he's giving us the gifts that he's prepared for us. He is the conquering Lord and King. And he's wanting us to walk worthy of what he's given us. That he has paraded, he is now parading around and saying, here's a gift for you, here's the gift for you, here's the gift for you. Use it. I want it for you. Remember back in Ephesians chapter 2? In verse 10, he says, well, start in verse 8, For by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not a result of works, lest any man should boast. None of us hung on the cross and rose again. We never conquered death. We didn't conquer sin. We can't. But Christ did. For Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. As He won the victory, as He rose again, He has given us the gift of His life, that we should walk in in Him, It's a beautiful thought of being His prisoner. It's a beautiful thought of our worship of Him. How are you responding this season of your life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? He purchased a lot when He rose again. And He's doing a lot even now. And are you walking with Him? Or are you walking like you doubt him, that his gifts are not sufficient for your life. They are. They are. They are. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for this wonderful gift, your life. You conquered sin in death, but in your resurrection is the gift of life. And the gift of perseverance, the gift of the work that you've called us to do in living. The power to live in a stormy and imperfect world. Lord, I pray that this morning there is something, anything that the Holy Spirit would use to touch the hearts of our souls here today. Encouraging, uplifting, Convicting, not to push down, but convicting to build up, to grow closer to you, to follow you, to say, yes, I love my Savior, I desire to follow him. I realized now we have a true conquering hero that didn't come in on a little donkey, but now is coming and dividing the spoils of life that come from Abba, Father, our true Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, not here on earth, but in heaven. Lord, may we be thankful for the daily bread that we have and not complain. Lord, you are our giver. You are our supplier. You have not forgotten us It's strange to think that you turned your back on Christ. You turned your back on sin. But Lord, those who are found in Christ, those who, like the thief, call upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. And you do not forget us or forsake us. And Lord, one day we will be worshiping you face to face. Oh, to see that day. Pray, Lord, that you will call many to yourself on this very special day that we take to celebrate you, the risen Christ, who won our victory. Lord, I pray that someone here would just, whether they're listening or here, that they would say in their heart that, Lord, they, they need you to be saved from their sin. They need that sacrifice, that living sacrifice, and that they would be content to lay their self into your hands and to trust you. Give them that faith today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.